Welcome to Blessed and Kept. This week's essay features thoughts that have been brewing for several years. And while it is by no means a comprehensive piece on my thoughts on the subject, it does represent pretty well how I'm feeling right now. As with all of the essays, these can be found in written form with images at certaindepth.com. So let's jump into, I used to be a pastor, now I won't go back to church. Bible stories told with felt characters after songs about Jesus loving the animals. Great big animals and little tiny animals. Getting to place the felt character assigned to me on the board and wearing a mask corresponding to a great big animal. Gathering with the church produces fond memories of my childhood. That fondness grew with me. Attending a small Christian high school, I was spiritual vice president of the student body. When it came to choose a career, I couldn't imagine doing anything with my life other than being a pastor. The thought that someone would pay me to do it amazed and excited me. After over 10 years of professional ministry in various capacities, I don't think I can go back to institutional church. When I say I can't go back to institutional church, I mean I can no longer participate in the version of church most common in the United States. The dedicated church building with worship services offered on the weekends. I do not mean that I'm giving up on my faith or abandoning the body of Christ. In fact, it is precisely my faith which brought me to this juncture. I firmly believe that there are more good people in the world than bad. That the people who are trying their best far outweigh those bent on destruction. I also believe that that ratio holds inside of Christianity. However, the grievances against church as we have come to know it are many and have, for me, tainted it beyond repair. My wife came across an image scrolling through social media. It's a letter written to a church member from the pastoral staff. It reads, For the last several weeks, we have noted that you have stopped attending the assembly of the church. After attempts to discuss the situation with you, we fear that you are no longer convinced in the need to assemble with the church for which Christ died. We are very saddened by your decision. This failure to assemble is not the only problem that you must address. We have been informed and understand that you have a living arrangement that is not biblical and must be terminated immediately. This action alone reflects that you have not avoided, quote, all appearance of evil, unquote, as scripture directs us. Please understand our obligation as shepherds. First, we must watch for your soul. And second, protect the congregation by withdrawing from every brother or sister that walks disorderly. If these issues are not corrected and public repentance made by Sunday, February 21, 2021, we will withdraw fellowship. Signed by the elders of the church. Undoubtedly, the pastoral staff who sent this letter had the best intentions. 
They believe they are doing what is right. And they have scripture references to bolster their rightness. I would even venture as far to say they believe they are exhibiting grace with this letter. The condescension and condemnation written between the lines are a prime example of why I can't go back to institutional church. During my first year as a pastor, a single mother in town had been receiving Bible studies and wanted to be baptized. Instead of jubilation on the part of the church, a meeting was arranged in which the elders of the church voted unanimously to deny her request for baptism until she quit smoking, or at least showed some earnest effort to quit. Because of the power structure of the denomination for which I worked, the vote was binding, and the limits of God's grace placed this young woman firmly outside of that grace. We never saw her again. I was briefly involved with a church that had strict policies about women in leadership. Using two verses found in a letter written to a specific group of people 2,000 years ago, this church ascertained that in their context, women cannot hold any leadership positions or preach from the pulpit. It was during a sermon series on the book of Esther that it hit me. If Esther herself decided to visit this church, she would not be allowed to tell her own story. Ironic given that the key part of that story is her courageously entering a place where she was not allowed to speak. Sadly, these are not isolated incidents. Condescension, condemnation, and misogyny masquerading as good theology are bad enough on their own. On top of that, certain pervasive philosophies of church make sense from a certain point of view, but create a system of church that does not align very well with the way Jesus lived. While studying theology to become a pastor, I received two pieces of advice that at the time seemed wise, but have come to be disturbing. Versions of this advice are found in all manner of church leadership books, seminars, and how-to guides. The first was that church is a business. This means marketing is a huge part of church. It means that members go through training on how to treat customers or guests and visitors. Under this philosophy, the gospel gets turned into a product we're trying to sell. We package it up in inspiring oratory and excellent music, and our metric for success is the same as it is for any business. How much product did we sell this week? How many people attended the services this weekend? How many new commitments to Jesus? How many baptisms? The second piece of advice, given in specific reference to youth ministry, was your ministry has to sit at the cool kids' table. If you can have influence over the influencers, you will have influence over everybody. If the cool kids are excited about church events, everyone will be excited. It seems logical, except that Jesus approached ministry in the exact opposite way. 
In fact, one of the reasons he was always in trouble was because he refused to sit at the cool kids' table. We like to say church is a hospital for sinners. As long as those sinners are other people coming to be rid of their sins. But for me, I'll make sure to look my best and act my best and mask any struggles I'm having. Our language betrays our reality. For Christians in North America, at least, church is a building. Church is an event. I feel very uncomfortable attending megachurches. I am aware that many megachurches engage in amazing work in their communities, and I applaud those efforts. I also very much enjoy excellent worship music and powerful preaching. The main thing they do, though, is their weekend services. A constant criticism I hear from people at smaller churches is that it's just a show at those big churches. That may be true, but at least they're honest about it. They get it's a show, so they strive for excellence in it. Small churches still do a show. They have rows of seats all facing the same direction, a platform, a select few performers. I used to tell the churches I pastored, we do a show, we're just not as good at it. Which leads to the last criticism I will offer here of the institutional church. We have created a professional class of Christian. There are professional Christians in the form of paid pastors and worship leaders. Then there are volunteer Christians who give of their time and resources willingly as long as one of the professionals is absent. An elder is perfectly willing to offer a prayer before the meal, unless the pastor's there. Then he, because of course the pastor is a he, ought to be the one to pray. He is, after all, a professional. Members who are far better equipped emotionally and gifted spiritually to minister to the sick and hospitalized are appreciated for their visit, but it sure would be nice if pastor could come. He is, after all, a professional. There is much more to say about professional Christians that I will leave for a future essay. For now, these are a few of the issues with institutional church. For me, these issues have tainted church beyond repair. A new thing. Hebrews 10, as the letter above states, reminds us that we should not neglect gathering together with fellow believers to worship. It does not, however, specify the form that gathering must take. It is time for a new expression of church. Peter, in Acts 10, experiences something he previously had no category for. He falls into a trance and sees a sheet come down from heaven. Inside the sheet are all kinds of animals. Some of the animals, according to Jewish law, are perfectly acceptable to eat, such as lamb, goats, cows, and chickens. Other animals in the sheet are not acceptable to eat, according to Jewish law, for they are considered unclean. The problem is, all the animals are hanging out together in the sheet, 
Again, according to Jewish law, if a clean animal comes into contact with an unclean animal, the clean animal becomes unclean because of the corruption of the contact. So when a voice from heaven tells Peter to kill and eat, he answers like a good Jewish person would. Lord, I have never eaten anything that is unclean. Peter defends God's law to God, the giver of the law. God then says that Peter should not label anything unclean, which God has made clean. Then, Peter is invited to the house of a Roman, the ultimate in uncleanness, which is strictly forbidden in Jewish law. But God has shown Peter that people are not to be labeled in such a way. God is doing a new thing, and this new thing will not fit into the old ways of thinking and acting. If we are resistant to change because of our religious convictions, we just might miss the new thing God is doing in the world. I am a part of the promise of God because Peter accepted that God was doing a new thing. Non-Jewish people are welcomed into the family of God because Peter believed that God will allow old paradigms to fall away in favor of new ones. I do not know what the new expression of church will be. It will probably be more than one thing. I do know that it will look a lot like being kind to my neighbor. I know it will look a lot like treating my perceived enemies as my neighbors. I know it will involve telling people who they are, that the Holy Spirit lives in them and the great designer and creator of the world wants them and accepts them and calls them good. Until it is more clear the new thing God will do in my life and the church God calls me to take part in, I will earnestly await the end of the COVID-19 pandemic in order to again gather in homes and public spaces with folks in my community to serve and celebrate each other in worship to God. In other words, church. May God bless you and keep you. May the face of Jesus shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the fullness of the Spirit dwell within you and give you peace.